Welcome to Room for Growth. A Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's f***ing grow. Okay, Billy, I feel like before we get started on our first episode of our brand new podcast, I feel like we have to address the elephant in the room. As I'm listening to that uh, intro, I'm thinking everybody has to, did I hear that correctly? It's two Billies. And so, you know, you and I deal with this every single day. That's right. Both Billies. And, uh, you know, nothing screams digital marketing expertise than than two Billies, right? Two just like salt of the earth. Like if you met Billy and Billy, you might you might think we were twins. You might think we were both named Billy by the same set of very weird parents. But it's true. We get to do this intro three or four times a week. We get to be like, hello, I'm Billy. And I'm also Billy, and we're here to talk to you about technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I so we've gotten to know each other uh, more and more over the, the past few months as we've been working closely together. And not only do we share the same name, but we've learned that we have a lot in common in some of our background. And we're both super, super passionate about digital marketing, lifecycle marketing and growth marketing, you know, whatever term you want to stamp on it. What we're going to be talking about over uh, on, on this podcast, Room for Growth, is really the passion that we have for helping brands solve some of these problems that that we're just seeing over and over and over again. And uh, yeah, I think I'm pumped up to, to do this alongside you and, and hopefully share some valuable content. I will say, I think it's said it in the intro. If folks have ideas, want to come on the show and share something that they're working on or thinking about, feel free to to, to hit us up and um, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I think we are really excited to play at this intersection of uh, what would the strategy be for a really awesome experience or a way to engage fans or customers that hasn't been done before or that could be done better? What does the product experience need to be? What sorts of features would you need to build into an app or a website to make it happen? What technologies do you need to actually launch those messages or collect the right data points and personalize it? How will you measure it? How will you build dashboards to know what works, what doesn't work? So we like to sit like right in that in-between space. And organizations, those are often like huge different teams and different departments. So Anything where we can bring a like how to do this practicality uh, to the ideas that we bring forward that has sort of that lens to it. Like how do you cut through the noise of silos to really make something exceptional for customers and fans? I think that's sort of what gets both of us really excited every day. I think we both get pretty jazzed up to uh, help our clients in this in this new MarTech world. So I think that's what we're going to be talking a lot about over the next few episodes. And today we're talking about something even cooler than that, which is sports marketing, uh, which I know we both get really excited about. And you, you've been super jazzed up about that lately. Yeah, 100%. I just think when I look around right now, there are so many opportunities in live sports. I, of course, like I love sports. Um, I love to attend games in person. I love to watch them on TV or through streaming or whatever platform you prefer. And I just look around and I think about how many opportunities there are to better engage sports fans, in part because technology is changing. So it's getting easier to, in real time, sort of create like interstitials in an app or on a website that help you understand what people care about in real time so you can start to personalize it. But there's also just like a huge void in the strategy and execution of live sports messaging. There's definitely some brands who are getting it right. Some of those are even our clients. So we get to brag about them a little bit. 
But in general, I think this is just an area of opportunity. And then you can think about how just the structure of live sports, which is basically like, how do you send things like push notifications or SMS messages or in-app experiences um, to engage people while they're either at a stadium watching a live event, which might be one experience, or they're at home watching it on TV and maybe they care about like multiple games that are going on um, or they want an inside look and what's happening like at the actual stadium itself. There's just like, there's so many opportunities and finally the channels are coming available to really take advantage. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things during the pandemic there was this period where all of a sudden, you know, the core of many of these organizations is you know, fans in seats that completely went away. And a lot of them were pivoting, trying to figure out, OK, how can we continue to best optimize the experience? And so quickly, I, I've seen it with a few of our clients and, and elsewhere, they quickly pivoted into becoming almost a, a technology and product company. And some of the things that had been talked about, you know, we've been talking about second screen since I did a quick second screen Google search. And the first article that popped up was from 2011. And it's like, okay, uh, that's, we really haven't made it that far since 2011. You know, that article was talking about this second screen experience that really has never come to life. But what I am seeing recently are just even minor kind of enhancements. I just read that Peacock, when you open up Peacock to the, the app on your Roku or, or Apple TV and you pull up a Premier League game, immediately, if you're, if you're 10 minutes into that game already, on the bottom, they're going to just do some quick highlights for you to show you, like, here's what you've missed as you're logging in. And, and so... I know that doesn't really impact exactly what we're we're talking about today, but what I'm, my point is, is the experience just continues to get better and better and better and better to where I think there's it's going to continue to unlock a bunch of opportunity. I also saw that FIFA is partnering up with Twitter to enable pregame. All the pregame stuff's going to happen on Twitter. You can watch it, participate in the conversation. And also during the game, they're going to start to partner up to where there's continual Twitter conversation. I think this stuff's been happening organically over time, but now the brands are starting to participate in it. So I don't know, I kind of lob that ball over to you. And I'm curious what you think, like, how does that create opportunity for marketers to continue to engage in the experience? Yeah, I think you're 100% right. So first of all, I think part of this is just being birthed out of need, especially during the Olympics. What we really saw was fans were frustrated. Viewers were frustrated that they couldn't find one unified source to figure out what was going to be on and when and where to stream it and how to stream it. And so there's just some basic things here that fans want. I think you're right. Twitter has been such a source of basically like live programming that you can follow along and kind of get the buzz of what's happening. But beyond that, fans just want some basic things. Like, I don't think we're talking about rocket science here. I think we're talking about pretty basic unmet fan needs, things like uh, that we hear from our clients in particular. If you are watching one football game or watching one March Madness game and there's another game on that you might care about, not quite as much, you do want to know if that game is going to go into overtime. You do want to know if that game's really close. You might want um, a teaser or a highlight played back to you pretty rapidly. But the challenge with that for brands is like, how do you do that? How do you automate messages? How do you make sure that you don't have to have a whole room full of marketers working so that you can get the right and most relevant message to the right fans at the right time? And you can also segment it well and you can make sure that you're not overburdening on frequency. So it is kind of a challenge. But the other like unmet fan need we hear about a lot is just simple recaps. Like you wouldn't think 
basic dashboard features, things like what happened in all of the games and where can I see it and how can I have a, like a bit of a wrap up at my disposal. That's things that we're relying on brands to do. Like, sure, you can Google it, but also brands could put that in something like an in-app message and it's dual purpose. It serves this unmet need and then it gets your fans back in your app where you want them so they can ultimately make purchases or think about buying swag or a t-shirt or something like that. So... Anyway, that's some of the challenges that we're working to solve really simple on the surface. But when you get into why they're hard, um, a lot of it has to do with technology. Right. Right. And that doesn't even factor in the amount of different platforms and kind of disparate services that are out there. Every arena uses a different ticket service. And so connecting with and, and knowing who's actually buying tickets and attending your events in person and then and then connecting that to them, streaming it. Um, from whatever device they use is, I guess, easier said than done. But I think over the next few years, that's really uh, where the the opportunity brands that can figure that out. I I feel like it's a really huge unlock. Do you agree? Yeah, totally. I think we're going to see once again that so many sports brands in particular sort of like sold the rights to streaming, but they're realizing now they still have to own a part of that fan experience. And getting point of sale ticket data is one major behavior that they need to be able to track that's really difficult because they're usually not capturing it organically, as well as any sort of conversion that's happening in a stadium. And then the other big and really tricky one is where are our fans watching? There's so many networks now streaming these different games that most brands in sports don't actually have access to that data. So they don't know when or where or how often or how frequently their fans are streaming. So they're looking for creative ways to kind of like bridge that gap. But I think you're exactly right around the technology piece as well. It's going to be table stakes. Okay. And before we get, I mean, we're, we're down into the weeds. We're dead serious, but in all honesty, who, who's your team? Like what we got to let's establish these core basics out of the, out of the gate here. Who's your team? Well, let's just start with like, which sport do you want to talk about? What are some of your favorites? So I tend to be an Ohio State guy. So we're just going to throw that out there. And inevitably, when I do that, I meet some Michigan person that we get. There's, it's awkward. So we're going to have to figure out how to bring somebody onto our podcast, one of our guests that's a, a Michigan person. So I don't even know what that is. What? I forgot how many rivalries we have because you know me, I'm a big Ducks fan. And there is nothing a good Ducks fan hates more than Ohio. Well, and I know that recently that so so all right so that's college sports. Recently, you and I uh, won't give away too much here, but you and I have just reintroduced ourselves to wrestling and WWE, and so um, we went from college sports to sports and entertainment. And so I think we both have for the wrestling fans out there like our alter egos. Like, am I am I right? That's totally right. Yeah. So I have long been a fan of like UFC, MMA, but then recently we have just been in deep with the WWE and that has been so fun. I am Charlotte Flair through and through. She is my spirit animal. I wake up every morning now and I'm like, can I just embody the spirit of glittery, sparkly Charlotte Flair getting off a helicopter in her robe, like marching into that stadium? It's interesting. We both chose villains because I, I have that same identity with Seth frickin Rollins, who's a, a, another villain. So but it's funny, you know, we talk about uh, college basketball, NBA, professional, you know, kind of uh, traditional sport. And then uh, WWE, which kind of blends entertainment and, and sport pretty closely. But they're both dealing with the same same things. And hopefully over the next uh, few months, we can pull on some guests from a variety of these organizations to uh hopefully kind of expand on that and and 
hear about some of the things they're dealing with. And then I think we're also going to talk to some of the platforms that are filling these gaps. And I'd love to, to pick their brain over the over the next few um, episodes here of, OK, what challenges are you seeing with connecting with all these disparate services? So um, hopefully we'll be able to get some of those on and, and unpack it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, let's just do like one giveaway of like one of our favorite ideas that we're seeing work across lots of brands. We're trying to figure out how we bring it to every brand for whom this use case works for them. But it's just it's things like if you own the rights to your team names or if you can leverage different players or different characters. And of course, this expands really heavily into just media and streaming in general, content in general. But if you can, instead of sending an email or sending a push notification from the brand that you are and figure out how to send it from a favorite superstar in the WWE or send it from a certain player in a different league, that in and of itself is a huge double down on personalization. We're seeing that when we do that, things like retention rates or pickup rates for adoption of shows between seasons has a pretty big impact. So this isn't a use case that we actually did, but one example of this might be if somebody loves Game of Thrones, I think at this point we all know that Game of Thrones for HBO is just this huge driver of fans to their platform. So people would um, sign up, they'd create a subscription because they just wanted to see Game of Thrones. And then a pretty major challenge for them was that people would unsubscribe as soon as the season was over. Well, if you take those characters that are in the show and you use their actual name, their alias, to connect with fans and send emails from those fans saying, hey, I, I, character in the show, love this other show, or here's my friend, and you are really like humanizing these characters into somebody who's messaging you, that can have a pretty massive impact just on open rates, on click-through rates, on level of interest. It's just so different. It's different enough that it really sparks interest. Awesome. And I, yeah, I got to just kind of let the cat out of the bag here. I've never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones. So just throw me in that that odd, odd minority. So yeah, we're gonna we'll, we'll address that later. I need I need better, better examples. In all seriousness, I thought it might make sense for us, the Billy and the Billy combo to introduce ourselves. So Billy, why don't you tell everyone about yourself? Uh, yeah, thanks, Billy. I would love to. So professionally, most of my career started in media. I worked in news as a journalist and then an editor. It was really at the dawn of the move to digital. So it was when journalists were still grappling with things like, what do we do about social media? What do we do with the fact that so many clicks and so many reads are happening online now? How do we monetize this? How do we create and um, remain a source of trust as people move to things like social media? How do we work with the public to bring different digital components together to tell a story? So that was a super fun time to be in journalism. Um, I covered a lot of cops and courts, which was interesting, and university politics and worked in publications in particular. And then I spent about five years in international development. I loved it. When people ask me, what did you learn in a nonprofit space that you carry through to today? Uh, one core lesson remained for me, at least, which is around personalization. If you are asking people to give money to something and they get nothing but a good feeling in return, the bar around how you personalize those messages, how you make sure they're timely and relevant, the cycles that you take people through where you ask them for something, they give to you, you thank them, you report on the impact they had, and then you ask them again are just a lot tighter. That's concepts that we bring to our clients every day. So anyway, then I went to Darden, the School of Business at the University of Virginia, was really intentional that I wanted to get into technology. I wanted to understand how to do things like personalization and automation at scale. And I joined Willow Tree as sort of home base, a perfect place to both learn, to get to explore with clients, solve big challenges, um, and have loved it ever since. 
Billy, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, first, before I do that, you're in Charlottesville, Virginia, right? You know, if people will notice that we're in separate locations, you're, you're in Charlottesville, Virginia. That's where Darden is. I sure am. Yep. So home of the University of Virginia, our headquarters in Charlottesville. Awesome. Yeah. Love Charlottesville and uh, lots of good restaurants. So um, always love, love getting there. So my name is Billy as well. Surprise. Uh, so my career has really followed a, a fairly similar trajectory in terms of uh, coming out of marketing and journalism. I have always, since about 2005, I have been in this position of continually bridging the gap between traditional marketing and digital. It looked a lot different than it does today in 2005. Uh, a lot of marketing uh, website and landing pages, and, and I'm, I'm glad that it's evolved a lot since then. So I've, I've spent the last decade in the agency consulting business, really helping my clients bridge that gap and, and, and figure out where they need to go next on, on that journey majority of my experience is in consumer-based experiences. So I'm really passionate about commerce and how a brand kind of extends itself digitally. And that's where most of my, my career has, has taken. I'm out of Columbus, Ohio, and have been with the Willow Tree organization for 10 years now. So it's been an amazing journey and really excited for now this next chapter uh, where we had the opportunity to bring on some of our clients and some of the folks that we work with regularly, both on the partnership side, some of the platforms that we help our clients implement. I think all of these folks coming together will will offer some interesting perspectives. We get the opportunity, you and I, to to, to speak with these people every day. And it's it, it always blows me away in terms of the new ideas and, and really all the things that we've been talking about for the past 10 years of one-to-one -one personalization and all these kind of buzzwords are finally feeling real. And a lot of that is because of these pioneers in the, in the industry. And so those are the folks we're going to be bringing on to, uh, to talk more. Today, we have a guest that's part of our team that we work with with every day. And I think we wanted to, to bring Alyssa on to really expand on everything we just talked about. She's been working on some, some sports marketing related uh, items for one of, one of our clients here at Willow Tree. And there was kind of a, a core unlock. 100%. One of the tools that we'll get into as well is Braze. So it's no surprise that at Willow Tree, we love Braze. We tend to straddle this line between are we consultants and strategists or are we executioners? Sometimes we're a services agency because we're helping companies actually like launch every campaign that they build. But oftentimes we're helping them articulate what those campaigns should be and we're helping them choose the technologies they work in. So Braze will be the other major partner at play here as we talk to Alyssa. She's a Braze expert. She's been using their various channels in really interesting ways, particularly some of the newer channels, things like content cards that are a little less known, where you can sort of almost create like a preference center-like experience inside the app itself, but you, you don't need engineers to help you build it. And you can start to ask fans things like, which sport are you here for? Which teams do you care about? And then you can action that data really quickly without having to build out a full CRM experience around it. It's a really nice way to test quickly and figure out how to have some real-time data to understand like what different fans are interested in. So I'm not only excited to talk to Alyssa because she's just brilliant. Like She is the person who dreams up these ideas and then figures out how to actually bring them to life, but excited to talk about how we really see Braze as one of our partners who's empowering these experiences too. Awesome. Well, I'd say we get to it and let's move on to our conversation with Alyssa and hear more about that. Okay, Billy. Well, today, I think we're both pretty excited about our guest. You know, when we, when we think about sports marketing, 
and a lot of the observations we've uh, been seeing with some of our clients and reading about in the, just the, the greater space, we thought it would be awesome to have a member of our own team on the pod today to talk a little bit about a recent project that she's worked on that I think our, our listeners will find it interesting. So uh, this is somebody that you work with a lot. Is that right, Billy? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I have the pleasure of introducing Melissa Baker. I'm going to let her introduce herself in a moment and who she is and what she's been working on. But for some context, Alyssa was basically charged with both coming up with a strategy and as well as executing that strategy to better engage sports fans during March Madness and prove that some of the own channel work that she was doing around push and at messaging email could drive higher streaming sessions if it was done in a really personalized, automated way. So I've been tracking this project with her because I've been super interested and curious about what kind of results she would drive. But when I say that it's driven great results, I'm talking about magnitude of like 200% increase in levels of engagement and conversions and starting streaming sessions. Some numbers that at least for this client are some of the highest that they've ever seen in their history. So huge numbers, really successful. But the other thing that we're going to talk about in addition to what was the strategy and how did you pull it off is really the tool that helped empower this. So the primary platform that we'll be talking about today is Braze. Uh, for folks who are not familiar, Braze is a customer engagement platform. So it's a platform that brings together email push, in-app messaging, SMS, content cards, all sorts of mobile and traditional owned channels so that you can create campaigns across each of those channels. You can test them against each other. You can automate based on different types of behavioral triggers. You can segment and personalize in really unique ways. So keep in mind that as we talk about the actual what was built and what Alyssa and her team did, that's the platform they were working in. Those were some of the requirements that were necessary to really be able to pull this off. So without further ado, okay. Alyssa, would you please just start by telling us a little bit about who you are and what your professional background has looked like. Yeah, of course. Well, first off, just want to say thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, so my name is Alyssa, and I've been in the growth industry for a number of years now. So far, I've had an opportunity to work across a variety of different verticals, cloud software, uh, QSR, and most recently, media, and specifically sports engagement marketing. Uh, so I myself, you know, at heart, am not the biggest sports fan, but I will say I am so passionate about you know, NCAA. I watch every single year. I follow college basketball, live here in Charlottesville, root for the Who's. So any Who's fans out there. So I was just really excited about the opportunity overall, as you said, just in terms of the sheer volume of people that we, we would be able to communicate with just in terms of our reach and our impact. But as you already alluded to, as we'll talk about today, we still saw really, really great engagement rates, even while expanding our reach to, to new heights. All right, Alyssa, let's jump into kind of the meat. So before we talk about how you identified this opportunity to better engage sports fans, tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day -day looks like. What are you generally tackling over the course of a day a week? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, what I love so much about being a growth marketer is just how every day looks different um, and how you're able to just tackle a wide variety of things. So, you know, it's equal parts, action-oriented execution where you're getting high-fidelity campaigns out the door for clients that are getting seen by a ton of people. Uh, it's equal parts reporting and insights where you're really diving into the data to understand, you know, how does this inform future strategies, A-B testing ideas, you know, does this change our channel tactics at all? And then it's, you know, third parts, as I mentioned, strategy. We work closely with the client to really understand their competitor landscape, to understand their industry and how it relates to growth marketing tactics. Yeah. And then you worked, I mean, obviously for a 
big client in a big industry. So just getting people aligned is another component of what you do. Talk to me a little bit about how you manage your team, you keep them on track, and then manage a huge number of stakeholders across a variety of different teams among the client side. Yeah, definitely. So one practice that we actually instituted when we joined the client that's been really helpful for us is actually the concept of window planning. So for us, this looks like monthly monthly campaign planning sessions where we actually meet with several members of their team. We have design, editorial, digital production, analytics, you know, everybody. And then our full team is there, the people that work on reporting, the people that work on the actual campaign execution. And we're all in one room together where we actually work in sort of a virtual whiteboarding space where we have an opportunity to say, okay, what is coming down the pipeline for this next month or two? You know, what shows or upcoming things should we be aware of? You know, what thematic moments are maybe happening in society that we should play off of in terms of our messaging? And that's just really allowed us to get aligned as a team of, you know, this, these are the big ideas that we want to move forward with. Um, And our team will actually create, you know, a really comprehensive campaign calendar from there where we dictate audience targeting strategies, channels, etc. And that really allows our internal team to stay aligned and know what, know what the expectations are in a given month. So one question I had in, in this industry, you're doing both streaming of like television type content. Yeah. So uh, fictional shows that are created as well as sports and entertainment media. So live sports. There's a really big difference between doing audience segmentation and personalization for something like a TV show where you can basically just follow like who's engaging, what else do they care about in the content space, and then who's watching episode up over episode. It's super different to think about how to engage a sports fan. So first of all, how did you even identify sports as a major opportunity? And what were some of the insights that you used to start to hatch a plan here? Yeah, so we had had an opportunity not with you know the NCAA but with other other sports um, for this client to actually promote to some degree during the regular season. So we had actually dabbled a little bit in live stream push messaging for this client in the past. And what we saw is even though it's a really seems like a very simple strategy that okay you send a scheduled push that is timed with when you know we want people to watch the live stream and actually timed with which teams are playing, when things are starting, letting them know which networks they're happening on. That seems like such a simple strategy, but we saw that it worked. Uh, you know, fans, no matter really how engaged they were or how often they might have generated a video play for that particular sports footage in the last you know week or so, they were still engaging with our push messaging. Um, we were seeing higher lift than you know people that didn't receive our messaging. And so we could really speak to our influence. And, and so what we saw is that this actually very engaged audience does respond well and considers that messaging you know highly relevant and timely to what they, they want to see. That's awesome. So Alyssa, can you tell me a little bit, you, you mentioned this generated really great results. What type of outcomes when you were generating this test and, and thinking, okay, we're going to engage with sports fans via push. What type of outcomes were you trying to drive? I mean, how do you measure these outcomes? What, what were you shooting for? Yeah. So our strategy overall was actually three parts. So I know I've said a lot about push so far and how important that is for sports, uh, but we did use other channels. And so we used email, in-app, and push. And email and in-app specifically were really helpful to us prior to the tournament to help build visibility. And we were really able there to cast a wider net. So for initiatives like that, what we were looking for is what are our overall impression volume like? Um, How is the actual you know, number of NCAA fans increasing over time in terms of sheer audience sizes, because with those tactics, we were really trying to build awareness that um, coverage was happening on these networks. Once the tournament started, really the core of our CRM strategy laid with push. 
that was the best way. And the goal with that at that point wasn't necessarily to generate awareness. It was how are we going to engage fans that have already in some way indicated that they're interested in the tournament through historical viewership patterns. So for that, what we were really looking for is just what are our actual campaign engagement metrics? So specifically, you know, what are our push open rates looking like relative to the client's own benchmarks, but also relative to industry standards? Braze is good in that it gives you really comprehensive understanding of what the industry benchmarks are for the campaigns that you run. So we made sure to always compare, well, are we seeing higher level higher levels of engagement and we did. But I think really the most important KPI that we looked towards was video play rates. You know, at the end of the day, the number one KPI for this client is how do we boost viewership? So we yeah. were really trying to make sure that our messaging was having an impact on that. Okay. That's awesome. That makes sense. Most of my experiences in commerce. And so I immediately think, you know, a push notification that drives person to add something to their cart and push out right. and, and, and purchase it. Sorry. But the, in this particular case, live viewership. Can you double click and zoom in a little bit on what type of, you know, so if, if I'm receiving a push notification during March Madness, w- what kind of content were we sending to people? Yeah, so I would say we had two main types of pushes that we leveraged. One that we were just calling our scheduled push strategy. So this is like it sounds. You know, we know when coverage is starting for the day, when there's going to be a series of games happening for a particular round. Um, So that was more of a simple strategy that consisted of us saying, okay, we're going to send this push, drive to the live stream, communicate the really big things that we wanted to get across. So which teams are playing, you know, what seeding, that would obviously help spur a little bit um, higher levels of engagement just to know how close those two teams were in terms of rank. But for that, it was really sort of just the facts. And to expand on that, something new that we did in the concept in the context of the tournament that we'd actually never done before for this client was experiment with what we then called as our second strategy, uh, which is more real-time messaging. So for that, we thought that there would be an opportunity. And what we were seeing in the landscape is how can we respond to some of these major moments that are happening during a game for fans that actually haven't tuned in for that particular day. So that was a really good way for us to engage any fans that weren't daily active users and say, close game alert or Mm. upset alert or, hey, an overtime is about to start between these two teams um, and actually build the templates ahead of time. And so we leverage both of those uh, two strategies in tandem. So really logistical question here. I mean, like... If you are a nine to five marketer, so to speak, right? Yeah. You're working kind of normal business hours here. You're trying to figure out how to deploy these messages in real time during prime time games. You can't use full automation, but what was the strategy? Was it fully manual? Was it fully automated? What would other people need to have in place in terms of a process to actually do this? Yeah, that's a really good question. And something that operationally we had to make sure we sat down with, you know, our client stakeholder and the team ahead of time to align on what is expectation for this? Because it's going to be different than our ability to send a scheduled push. So what we found, it it was a little bit of a hybrid. So it was not fully manual and and not fully automated. So what our team would actually do is actually build a template ahead of time where we essentially had everything that you could possibly have ready in Braze, ready to go. The only thing that was missing essentially was, okay, what is this game? So who are the teams that are actually playing? So we basically had placeholders very clear that this is where you drop in team name one, this is where you drop in team name two. And then of course, the only other contingency was, are you sending the push? So for that, you know, we we essentially had everything ready to go and we had a coverage plan figured out with our client that was, okay, you know, what games are you planning on covering? Is there somebody else from your team that's going to be able to cover this other day? We made sure that all of the templates were easily tagged in Braze 
classified as real-time alert so that you could easily say, okay, I'm looking for a real-time alert template. Is it a comeback? Is it an upset? Is it a, is it a close game? So it was really easily accessible for the cool. client. And he was able to essentially swap in the team names and press send in the moment. Interesting. So you had to have somebody who had decision-making authority actually making that final call, actively watching the content. It's not as if there's some kind of trigger that you can necessarily use. But as long as you have one person who's capable of making that judgment call to say, this moment matters, this is the time to send this category of this type of message, then it was easy for that person to do. Yeah, I think that was something that we realized too when we're constantly driving towards automation is that there is a degree of subjectivity involved here. You know, how do you define a close game? Like how many points is that? At what timing away from the end of the game does that actually set us up for it being a close game? And so that is how we chose to run the program sort of for the first iteration of it. I would say moving forward, given the features that are available within Braze, we would be interested in exploring other ways that we could more automate. And you know, one of those things I think that we can talk about in a little bit is something called connected content. So where you actually have a schedule that feeds Braze and tells you these are the teams that are playing this is injected into your messaging. But I think for the first iteration, we decided to do more of a hybrid approach. Got it. So you're kind of doing it in really manual ways to figure out what works, what's the timing, what's the formula. Right. But eventually with connected content, you can just like feed these details and make some assumptions about whether or not a game is actually close. Exactly. Because you may not actually even need to know that. It might be simple. Awesome. Okay. So Alyssa, not to dumb this down and ignore the strategic marketing aspect of this, but do you ever at any moment during these things just stop and say like, wow, this is super cool? Because, you know, as I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking you could go to every sports marketing class across every major university in the country and say, okay, we're looking for somebody to volunteer to work on March Madness, really come up with strategic efforts to drive engagement mid-game, and you're going to need to watch the game too to know what's going on. Uh, I, I mean, do you ever just pause and say like, wow, this is pretty cool? Oh my gosh, yes. Every single day. I mean, it just made me so jazzed to wake up in the morning to know that I was doing this type of promotion. And again, you know, something that I was a fan of, something that I was passionate about and was already already going to be watching the tournament anyways, yeah. even though all of my teams didn't make it this year. So That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Did did we do anything or did, did as you guys were doing the window planning and, and moving towards kind of deploying some of these push notification strategies, you know, were there any hypothesis or tests that didn't pan out as strong as the push stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that um, as a team we're looking to experiment with more in the future is I spoke a lot about how we leveraged push for ongoing engagement with NCAA fans. So the goal there, of course, is NCAA viewership. But secondary to that, you know, you you obviously want to capitalize on this moment. There's going right. to be elevated levels of app traffic. And is there an opportunity for us to cross-sell other types of content to these fans and and convert sports watchers into other types of series watchers. And so we leveraged Braze's in-app um, functionality a lot for that. And, and specifically, they have a variety of different formats that you can use, some that are more obtrusive than others. And so, you know, I think just exploring and iterating more on that testing strategy would probably be our future plan because we did see it's the fine balance of trying to capture people's attention when they're actively in the app, but we also very well know what they're in the app for. So we did see it generally as a really good awareness tactic just to build visibility, get those impressions up. But as far as, you know, sort of overall engagement levels and ultimate conversion rates, you know, we weren't really seeing the targets that we wanted to see. So I think that's something that we would explore more um, or just shift what we expect out of that type of strategy. So... 
how did you control for frequency? One of the things we hear about push all the time is that people really don't like to be inundated. They'll unsubscribe. I think a lot of marketers shy away from sending too many pushes, even though there's some hypotheses that in sports, that's actually the appropriate time to like sort of mm-hmm. serve push out like it's a billboard. Um, how did you deal with that challenge around how much to send, how little to send, how to determine if somebody's engaged, not engaged in the content you're sending? Yeah, I would say that um, one feature in Brace that's really helpful for this is is their feature for frequency capping. So that was also a conversation that we had with the client ahead of time is what number of push notifications do we feel comfortable sending on a weekly basis? And you can actually set a global target. And it will ensure you know, that any one user won't receive any more than that target that you set in a given week. So that it does allow you to sort of move forward with your messaging on a weekly basis without being you know, so constrained every day to think about, well, did this user get this message? With that said, you know, we did try to be really closely tied into the analytics more so for sports than maybe we would for any other type of series messaging. And there was another tool that we used that made it really easy to do that too. Braze has these report builders where you can basically, using certain filters, just say, I want to pull any campaigns that have the word NCAA in them that fulfill this channel push. And it will actually spit out, you know, here are how all of your campaigns have done in terms of video play rates, in terms of push open rates. So we were really able to see pretty easily, like, what are the trends in terms of open rates, making sure that everything is is increasing, not decreasing. We're seeing good levels of engagement and shift our strategy if needed from there. Okay, but what's the golden number, Alyssa? If you had to tell people, <laughs> send ish this many, what, what's kind of your ish number? I just think that it's going to depend on the audience. I don't think, I know you're looking for a specific number, but I think it really depends on the audience and you just, you have to stay really clued into the analytics. I will say another opportunity that we found that differentiated us from competitors was in terms of our segmentation. So if you're not all the time being as, I'm just going to blast this push notification to all of my app users or even all of my active app users, if you're being more cognizant of, well, what do their historical viewership consumption behaviors tell me about whether they would actually want to get this push messaging, which is something that we we try to do with all of our messaging is we're not just going to blast you something. It's going to be based on a behavior that you've taken in the app. Um, so I think that allows you to be a little bit more flexible with the number of pushes that you send as well, so long as they're more relevant. And especially with March Madness, um, as you're talking, I'm thinking like March Madness is such a unique event where everybody that's watching kind of all of a sudden has an interest in a team that they would never even care about. I mean, half the team, sometimes I'm watching, I'm like, where is this team even located in the country? Um, yeah. And so this time sensitive nature of March Madness, you have ultimate engagement. I can't tell you how many times I have gotten distracted or I'm watching one game and I don't realize that, that I missed this last second shot uh, in this intense game. So the strategy that you um, are talking about makes so, makes so much sense. How do you think as you were thinking about this and analyzing the results, so we just, I kind of just highlighted the the uniqueness that is March Madness, where everybody loves every every game, and um, uh, there's just this intensity about it. But how do you think it translates to other live sports engagements? Is there anything that you learned that you think you know if 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 we have a listener that's a marketer on a completely different sport that doesn't have this intense tournament atmosphere, are there any things that you learned that that you think would apply there as well? 
Yeah, you're definitely right there. So I think why I wasn't able to give a golden number is exactly that. Because, you know, we were seeing that in the context of the tournament, that level of frequency where every day a user is getting a notification time to say, hey, today is starting. These are the teams that are playing. Uh, users responded really well to that type of messaging. Um, but with other games like maybe MLB or NHL, you might not see the same allegiance towards just the sport in general. You might see people watching for very specific teams. And in the absence, assuming that you don't have that information from your users, like, hey, this is the team that I prefer to hear from, you could risk doing what you're saying, which is sort of blasting, letting them know that you know NHL is starting and there are teams that they don't care about. And so the thing that we've realized too is we can apply these strategies to other sports but again, we try to keep a very, very close eye on the push performance itself. So there's always an opportunity, I think, at the start of a given regular season or at the start of a playoff schedule where we're willing to be a little bit more broad with our targeting, You know, still using consumption patterns to say, would you want this push or not? But if we don't see that the engagement rates are there, we will you know, drop off people that are have not been active within a certain window of time or are not responding to our push messaging. So we are responsive to the data and, and we'll we'll be willing to shift that for specific sports based on what we're seeing. That's super interesting. I hear you saying that there's a correlation between the higher the buzz around the event, the higher people's tolerance generally are to receive messaging. I think that's super insightful. To Billy's question around how do you apply the same March Madness strategy to live sports, good answer. But are there other takeaways for people who aren't in sports? What advice would you give to them based on what you've learned? Yeah, I think that the last comment that you made actually tees up my answer quite well. So um, I'll first just start by explaining because there was one tactic that we um, explored that we saw really, really great results that I haven't touched on yet, which will relate to this. So we often throughout our messaging, you know, we'll do a lot of ongoing engagement messaging where we're messaging fans that are active, you know, they're responding well to our messaging. But there was a point in time in the tournament where we questioned, you know, there's definitely a decent number of people that have dropped off, you know, either they have teams that they had allegiances to, that are no longer in the tournament, or they were just watching for their bracket, and their bracket was busted, which this tournament, there were a lot of upsets. I don't know if you guys both watched, but a ton as to be expected. So there was sort of a point in time where we realized, hey, there's probably a lot of people that have checked out. And so this was a really good opportunity for us to say, what is our re-engagement strategy? You know, we know that we can't recoup the full percentage of those inactive viewers, but how do we try to get a percentage of them back into the fold and watching again? And so I think just knowing that you'll do this brainstorming session ahead of time, you'll plan out your window planning, and this can apply to really any industry. You've planned every channel, you've planned every concept, you need to be responsive to the the broader landscape of what's happening and the broader context. I mean, Duke versus UNCA for any NCAA uh, non-fans out there, these are two historic rivals. Like you, you hear about it everywhere about how they're um, that in terms of whenever those teams match up, I mean, viewership just skyrockets. And this was actually the first time that they had ever met in the tournament. And not only that, but they met in the final four. So, and that's actually when we saw a lot of drop off happening between viewership. So this for us was a moment to say, Hey, let's play up sort of the FOMO aspect of you need to watch this game because people are going to be talking about it for the rest of our lives. And they are. I mean, that was like the highest watched game on television. And if and if you're sitting here saying, oh, I didn't watch that, you know, we wanted to play up that aspect of this is a historic moment. You can't miss this. So I would just say, like, know that all your best planned efforts and strategies, you might need to make some shifts and there will be things happening that you need to be responsive to. And to your point, anything that you can do 
to promote a, your given product, but tie it back to what is the value proposition for the user? So in, in this case, these people were totally checked out. They had no interest in watching the tournament anymore. So we tried to say, okay, well, what would bring them back in? And you know, for us, it was, we think you're going to feel like you're missing out if you don't. And we're going to tell you how historic this moment is. Final question here, Alyssa. This was super great. Thank you so much for talking us through what you did, how it worked, why it worked. But we keep talking about why this is pretty simple. And frankly, it is. It's basic marketing. It's send a message at the right time to the right people to get them to take their eyes and put them where you want them. If it's so simple, why was it so groundbreaking? Like, why aren't more brands doing this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it's, you know, even though the strategy at at its core sounds so simple, um, to actually put this into execution and into action, there are so many moving parts that need to be able to work seamlessly together. I think, you know, first being able to have the time and the space to take a couple of steps back and just brainstorm with a client, as I mentioned, doing that strategy session where we planned and we really threw out any and all ideas that we would want to explore. And then from there, tried to get a little bit more tactical execution focused on what do we actually have the operational capacity to do? Um, Because there's definitely more that we would have loved to explore, other tests that we would have loved to run. But you need to really understand, you know, your team's capacity and bandwidth to be able to handle this type of messaging. Um, And like I said, even with the real-time push capacity, you know, who's going to be able to cover those games, watch, be responsive, be nimble in the moment. So I think, you know, just as much as strategizing ahead of time was so important and having the space to do that, I think second, having the operational capacity because as you mentioned, you know, this is a really, really popular tournament. There's a lot of eyes on the tournament and not a lot of people that get to promote it. So there's definitely, you know, a stress there, right? You're, you're sending this messaging to a lot of people. You need to have the right checks and balances and quality assurance processes in place to make sure that everything that goes out the door is flawless, even when you're doing real-time messaging. So I think that's the second part of it. And then third, not to, you know, totally fangirl on brace, but I'm just going to, you need to have the right technology and tool. You know, you need to have the right data infrastructure in place to say, we have access to customer data that's going to be really valuable to allow us to do proper segmentation to ensure that we're not over-messaging people. We have the right features, the right strategies in place, and that you know the channel, the way that we build channels within this platform is really intuitive, um, which it is. So I think all three of those things combined um, allowed it to be successful. It's awesome. And awesome. a lot of people have the right tools, but the, I always use the analogy, they buy a Ferrari and then drive it like a Honda Accord and a 35. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, so it's like knowing these tools and, and actually deploying them. Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Your energy is contagious and, um, and, and it just kind of, uh, yeah, I hopefully sparks some ideas for folks to maybe step back and look at a new campaign that they have coming up uh, with a a fresh set of eyes and and maybe try something new. When we conclude a guest on the pod, I love to just like fire out some questions at them, some stumping questions. So Billy, I'm going to start, but you can, you can jump in here. What's your latest binge watching show? Everybody's, you know, this is, there's, there's Netflix is getting a lot of, a lot of hate lately. Got anything you're watching on, on Netflix or other platforms? Yeah. So recently I actually binge watched Severance. I don't know if that you guys have heard of it, but I just thought it was such a unique concept. Um, and I love the lead actor in it and just seeing him in a drama. So that was, I I would highly recommend watching Severance, uh, Apple TV. So I didn't already have Apple TV. That's how they got me and I still have it. So awesome. Okay. 
What's an essential part of your daily routine? Coffee. Like, period. Can that be my answer? (laughs) All right. So, Alyssa, at the end, we always like to invite people to talk kind of positive trash about a brand that they love. I know that you and I have one thing in common. We both love loyalty programs. We have like a little obsession with loyalty program. Yes. What is your favorite loyalty program and why? Who do you think like does this the best? I would probably have to say Sephora. Ah, yeah, they are the best. Oh, why? Why do you think that? Yeah. Well, alone, I'm a little bit swayed because I just have such an affinity for this brand. I mean, I love them. Currently wearing Sephora. Sponsor me. Thank you. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. But I do love their product. Um, But I also think, to your point, the loyalty program is just so effective in terms of how they've managed, you know, all these different tiers and through the Beauty Insider program. I mean, I am always trying to level up, you know, more points. What is that going to mean in terms of the rewards that or incentives that I get as a result? And I am incentivized to, you know, to buy things on the website, to go into the store, because I know that I might have access to certain incentives or certain things. And I think they reinforce that constantly as well throughout their messaging. I mean, I'm receiving the right number of emails. Um, they're creative. The subject lines always um, manage to to catch me with whatever else I'm doing and are really compelling. And so I think that they are not just a brand to aspire to, but also they're doing well in the space as well. I would talk more about this, but I insist that we have an entire episode where I think we so. break down the frameworks of why Sephora's loyalty program is so superior. Um, and then we can fight about uh, Billy's favorite loyalty program. Yeah. yeah, it's not Sephora. I'm not a member, even though I'm a dad of two daughters, not a member of the Sephora loyalty pro- uh, program yet, at least. Uh, so yeah, we definitely have to have, I think we've got in the mix and, and planning a, for, for some podcasts ahead uh, to, to really Perfect. zoom in on loyalty programs. So maybe we can get somebody on from Sephora. Awesome. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much. Um, as I said before, just great energy. And, and we really appreciate you giving us uh, your time and sharing a little bit about how you leverage Braze to drive new engagement at the most recent March Madness. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was a ton of fun.